Y'all, it is Miracle Weekend, Miracle Weekend. I want you at, at every chair, if you can, even if you don't plan to give a dime, a nickel, a penny, or a button off your shirt, it's okay. This is my gift to you. I want you to take this little envelope. It's on the back of your chairs. If you don't see one on the back of your chair, ask your neighbor to grab one from, from their, the back of their chair. There's multiple. I want everyone to get one. I want you to use this as kind of a secondary notepad. If you're a note taker, note takers are history makers. But if you're a note taker, go ahead and take notes on, on whatever you want to take notes on. But then keep this to the side. And if I say something or if God says something in the middle of the sermon that you feel to write down on the top of the prayer request, praise report, could be one word. It could just be believe. It could be seed. It could be the list that you would give to Santa Claus. It would be... Uh, Something, that, a prayer that you've been praying for, what you're believing God for. But if there's something that, and some people, I mean, after each service, I've seen people just fill out this entire thing with prayers, scriptures, uh, words that God was speaking to them. And then while they were in the middle of the sermon, God prompting them something specific they felt to give. Uh, whether it's financially, whether it's a coat to the homeless this year, gloves, or, um, uh, you know, whatever God is speaking to you during this message. And I'm going to share for the next 30 minutes that we're going to end with our worship to God. We're going to give an offering at the end. And then we're going to just turn this service into a worship altar at the end where we just believe and declare and, and lift up the name of Jesus above everything that you're facing. So if you got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Come on. Twas the week before Christmas, and everybody showed up, except for a few people who might have slept in. But, you know, I lit the candle today because the candle represents Advent, the church anticipating the Messiah was going to come. 2,000 years ago, before Jesus showed up, all the prophecies were speaking to this Messiah that would be born. I want to title this message, Be the Miracle. Be the miracle. Turn to the person next to you and say, be the miracle. Be the, if you want to see a miracle, be the miracle. If you need a miracle, be the miracle. And so they were anticipating the Messiah. And every year since Jesus came, the church would reflect on that, that year that Jesus was born. And they call it Advent season. Four weeks leading up to Christmas. Candles representing peace, hope, love, joy. And the church reflects that he came, but then anticipates that he's coming back again. The Messiah is coming back again. We don't just gather to celebrate what Jesus did. We gather to prepare for what Jesus is going to do. And in Matthew chapter 2, there was a moment where God used a group of people to be the miracle for a young couple that had just had a, a brand new baby. And this young couple didn't have anyone that was helping them in any way. Um, they had to have their baby in a barn. This story might sound familiar. This is the story of Jesus. You're like, I know this couple, Mary and Joseph. That's right. They were a young married couple, just had a baby. And, um, and God sent some people to come and help them financially. And, and sometimes we don't look at this story that way. We go, oh, wait, what? God sent some people to help Mary and Joseph financially? Look at this. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born... In Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time, God bless you over there, during the time of King Herod, <laughs> during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. How many of y'all remember King Herod last week in the Christmas production? He was a funny character. I liked him so much. 
But you know, the real King Herod in the Bible was wicked. He tried to kill, they called it the slaughter of the innocents. He tried to kill every baby that was two years and younger during his time because he was afraid that one of those babies was going to take his place, would be the next king. Talk about an insecure, narcissistic, crazy, abusive leader. This guy was afraid a baby was going to replace him. He had 11 wives, by the way. He killed a couple of them because he thought his wives were going to take his throne. Um, he killed three of his biological kids uh, in their teenage years because he was afraid they were going to replace him as king. And like, like the story of King Herod is just a crazy story. He died in his late 40s. He died because he was grasping for everything he had. He didn't know how to share. He didn't know how to live with trust and peace and empowerment and love and generosity. And when you hold on and hoard what you have, you lose it all in the end. It's a path of, of self-destruction. A stingy spirit only shrinks your world faster and faster and ends your life sooner and sooner. You want to live long and prosper like Lois Myers, like Grand Grand over here who turns 99 in two months? You want to live long and prosper? Be a generous person. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. So we see these wise men. They come to Herod. Herod goes, wait, what? There's a king? And they asked, where? is the one who has been born the king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Wise men coming to worship him. Wise men still worship him. You want to you be a wise person? Worship Jesus. You want to be a foolish person? Worship yourself. Be obsessed with yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror all the time. Take selfies of yourself. Talk about yourself. Be all about yourself. You want to be a wise person? Shift the focus back to Jesus. Wise men worship Jesus. Wise women worship Jesus. So they came to worship Jesus. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And they called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. And they asked, where is this Messiah to be born? The prophecies had said that he would be born in Bethlehem. And so after... The wise men left the king in verse 9. They went on their way, and the star was leading them, and it was going ahead of them. So I want you to get this picture for a moment. I'm going to be one of the wise men. So I'm over here, and let's, let's pretend that Mary and Joseph are over there. The wise men, they're, they're on their camels. If you've ever been to our Christmas production, you've seen these wise men. They come, and they're taking step by step. And they're moving in the direction of where God has called them. They're following a star. Everybody say, follow the star. If you're looking for direction, God has already given you a star to follow. See, in the Old Testament, they had a cloud by day and a fire by night. The Israelites knew that God was leading them into the promised land because he used a cloud to go in front of them. And at nighttime, when they couldn't see the cloud, he had a fire, literally a fire in the night that would lead the Israelites where they needed to be, who they needed to be with. And you might be here today and going, well, I don't have a star. I don't have a cloud. I don't have fire. How am I supposed to know where God's called me to go? The Bible. That is our compass. He's already given us the star, his Holy Spirit. He's already laid out in his scripture what he's called us to do. Don't ask for a cloud if you won't even follow his commandments. His commandments have been laid out. Listen, if we will walk in the steps that he's already ordered for us, we'll be in the right place doing the right thing with the right people at the right time. So these wise men, they're walking. And Mary and Joseph have no clue. We read the Bible as if everybody knew what was going to happen. Mary and Joseph are a young couple. 
Their families did not open their homes to them in Bethlehem. Joseph was from Bethlehem. No one in his family said, hey, we want to celebrate your, your son. That's our grandbaby. No mention of this. They made Mary and Joseph have a baby in a barn because no family members would open up to them. What family rejects their kid who's having a son at that time? And so wise men come showing up that night. And it says, when they got, in verse 10, look at this, when they got to the place where the star stopped over that manger, it says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Y'all, Jesus brings joy. Jesus brings joy. If the gospel that you've received makes you miserable, depressed, and sad, and angry, and divisive, you receive the wrong gospel. Because the real gospel brings joy, exceedingly great joy, not just for shepherds, but for wise men, not just for the poor people, but for the rich guys too. How many are thankful that Jesus has brought joy into your life? Lord, I thank you that joy is coming back to someone today who's lost it. Lord, I pray for every person in the room that needs joy today. Every person who's trapped in depression, who's trapped in torment, who's trapped in fear, anxiety, stress. I pray, God, that you would restore the joy of their salvation today. If you've lost your joy, you can get it back today. I've never met a generous person that was miserable. And I've never met a miserable person that was generous. Generous people are joyful people. Generous people, they just believe God's going to work it out. God's got it. He's good. Something good is going to happen to you today. And when they came into the house in verse 11, they saw the young child with his mother Mary. And it says they fell down and they began to worship him. They begin to worship Jesus with no band, no instruments, no keyboardist in the background, no preacher, no pastor, no worship leader, a bunch of wealthy guys who had been traveling all through the night on camelback, thousands of miles, fell down and worshiped a baby. And we have no excuse not to worship a grown king of kings who went to the cross, rose from the grave, sits on the throne, and you're going to complain that the song is not the song you wanted it to be, or the worship leader is not on pitch, or the instrument is not playing, per or it's too loud in the room. Y'all, we have a reason to worship. We have a reason to praise. We have a reason to give thanks to God. If you're thankful for what God has done in your life this year, go ahead. Just take a praise break. Give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anytime, anytime I'm facing things that, anytime I sense myself getting into a complaining spirit, I try to check myself before I wreck myself. I try to stop it and go, hold up. I've got a reason to praise right now. I've got a reason to be thankful. I've got a reason to worship right now. So these wise men, they begin to worship. And then watch this. They begin to open their gifts. Not gifts for themselves. Now, y'all are about to go to Christmas this week. You're going to open up gifts for yourself. You're going to pass out gifts to your wife, your husband, your, your kids, uh, your parents, your Uncle Buck. You're going to have Christmas vacation in the background. Elf, you'll have some music. But the only person in this story right here that was opening gifts was Jesus. These gifts they had brought specifically for him. And they were giving their gifts with no strings attached. They weren't like, hey, here's some gold, but you better hook me up next month. God, you better show up. No, they were going, here, 
You deserve it all. You deserve it all. Why were the wise men in this story who were wealthy, who were smart, why were they giving their gifts to a baby who could do nothing for them? Because they knew that baby was their Messiah. They knew that king could do for them what money couldn't do for them. Money can fix some problems. Let's be honest. Money can solve some issues, but it can't fix everything. We're watching right now the wealthiest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, give away billions of dollars and his ex-wife giving away billions of dollars. And the world is going, I would keep that money. That's a lot of money. They've realized money doesn't solve heart issues. You can have all the money in the world and still be miserable. What the wise men knew in that moment was that my money is not my money. My gold, my frankincense, my myrrh. What I have, I'm a steward of. I'm not the owner of. And what they didn't realize is what they gave to Jesus would fund his future travels to Egypt, his upbringing, his schooling. Mary and Joseph didn't know how they were going to provide. And yet the wise men's gifts were exactly what they needed for what God was going to do next. Where God guides, he provides. Where God directs, he protects. God will never lead you into a desert where he doesn't have provision on the other side of your obedience. God will never lead you at the end of a year to go, all right, I'm setting you up to be high and dry and I won't show up for you. No, he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He has wise men lined up for the young married couple in the room. He has wise men lined up for the single parent mom who doesn't know how she's going to afford Christmas presents this year. We got you covered. Right after this service, we got a single parent Christmas toy giveaway for every single dad, single mom in the room that can't afford it. Yesterday, we were able to give away 2,000 to 2,000 families we served at the Tulsa Dream Center. This church, your generosity, paved the way for families to have Christmas this year that otherwise wouldn't have Christmas. What am I saying? I'm saying God uses people to be the miracle for others. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that we would leave different than the way we came in. I pray, God, that we would flip the switch in our heart. God, where we have been feeling lack where we've been wondering where you will show up and how you will show up and what you're going to do for us. I pray, God, that today we would switch the perspective and ask, what can I do to be used by you to be the miracle for somebody else? How can I turn my need into a seed and sow towards what I'm believing for? In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Thank you, Carlos. Can we give the worship team a big hand? Come on. Great, great job, worship team. So some of us had plans this year that life was going to be like easy. It was going to go really well. We started out January 1st, 2022 with our plan, right? I want to just show you a picture of the contrast of your plans versus God's plans. Um, your plans look like it's going to be good. And then God's plans sometimes are a little bit different. You know what I'm talking about? And how many of y'all can attest to this? In 2022, there's been some peaks and valleys. There's been some, um, some waters that you've had to tread through. Maybe you would draw a couple more things. You're like, I would draw fire in one place. I would draw arrows being shot at my back in one moment. Um, but the fact that you're still here today is a miracle in itself. How many of y'all would say, it's a miracle I'm still living, breathing, and showing up to church at the end of 2022? Come on, if you're a miracle, give yourself a hand. Come on, you, the enemy could have taken you out this year, but you're still here. You're still here. And that's the story, really, of these 
wise men. That's the story of Mary and Joseph is that God would bring them through. Mary and Joseph had to travel a desert 90 miles while she was nine months pregnant with thieves and robbers, also avoiding a holocaust that was happening right when their baby was born. Sometimes plans don't go according to what we would hope or think or want, and yet God's still there. He's right there in the middle of your plans. He's working things out. He's delivering you. He's working even when you don't see it. What Mary and Joseph didn't know is on the other side of their steps of obedience. Now, Mary was a teenager. She was about 14 when she got pregnant. She's having this baby. Joseph was going to divorce her. He was going to break up. He was like, I am not marrying a girl who got pregnant by an angel. And I don't know, you know, until God spoke to him. Once he obeyed, once she obeyed, it still didn't all work out right away. They had to keep walking. I was asking Grand Grand before she got to church today. I said, how you doing? I'm going to let her just share for a second. I said, how you doing? She said, well, I was hurting this morning when I woke up. I wasn't feeling the best. But something changed as I got moving, as I got moving. Tell them what happened, Grand Grand. Yes, I was really hurting. I have a sciatic nerve problem. It was really hurting this morning. But I knew if I could just get up and go, God would help me. And I just said, God help me. I want to go. So I found out if to get up and go, and then I got to feeling better. And then I got here at the church, and I wasn't hurting at all. But God Come on. Of it. Grand Grand, you're turning 99 in a couple months. What would you say is the secret to just living long? You, you still work here at the church. You still love on people. You're, you're full of joy. You're full of life. God's been faithful. What would you say is, is one of those secrets? Well, praying, God just, he's so good to me. He does so much for me all the time. And I tell him, God, I need you every minute. I need you every second. And he doesn't leave me. He's always there with me, just taking care of me and then of course I've tried to do the things that exercise and things like that that I know will help me that way but it's always God it's always God you know in the last service you you started encouraging people to keep on moving sometimes people get stuck when they're feeling hurt they don't know how to get up out of bed or come to church because they're they're hurting they're tired and you started telling them just keep moving just keep moving and I've also heard another preacher Lois said go hurting and so sometimes you do have to go hurting but god will take care of that too come on what a word right there go even when you're hurting because if you'll keep moving god will bring the healing the miracles in the house mary and joseph every time they took a step in the desert god was having the wise men take another step on the other side every time they moved towards bethlehem god was preparing their provision was moving towards them See, if I had you all enter on one side, like if we, if we only had two entrances into the room, it was either this side or that side, some of you would meet in the middle. And in the same way, God had Mary and Joseph meeting the wise men in the middle. Every time they took a step, the wise men were taking another step. Oftentimes, God prepares our provision on the other side of our surrender, on the other side of our obedience. Our family, we grew up playing board games in our house, and it got crazy. We would play Monopoly, Scrabble at Christmas time. We, we played a lot of board games, and we had to have altar calls after board games. Like, blood was shed. <laughs> Tears were shed. Like, it was, it was tough. Dad would have us apologize because, you know, we would be throwing houses and hotels down on the board, chance cards, community chess cards. Like, we were like, I am done with this, you know? 
And uh, dad would have us come back and apologize. But these games, all, the whole goal of the game was to win. And, and whether it was Scrabble, my mom was really good at Scrabble, and she would beat us. Like, no mercy on the eight-year-old. Mom's going to win. Um, I'm just kidding. I love you, Mom. <laughs> I love you. She was like, I let you win once. Um, but our family was competitive. How many of y'all grew up playing competitive board games? Anyone in the room? Okay. All right. And the goal of these games is to win. It's to win. With Monopoly, it's to get more. Everybody say more. More. We think that if we have more in life, somehow we're going to be happier. There was a book that came out several years ago by Brene Brown, and she said the mantra of our day is never enough. Our society is obsessed with more. I need more money. I need more sleep. How many of y'all could use more sleep? I need more opportunities. For speakers, I want more speaking opportunities. I want more love. I need more love. I need you to love me more. Love me more. I need more affirmation. I need you to affirm me. Compliments. I need compliments. I need, you're, not, you're not hugging. You're not spending enough time with me. You never spend time with me. I need more time with my family. And every time we demand or desire more of anything, whether it's more money, more time, more love, more affection, more, and it's not bad, but oftentimes we're left still needing more. Because on the other side of more, there's still an emptiness that I don't have enough, never enough. I need more vacation. I need more rest. I need more food. I need more candy. I need my house to be more clean, more, more. Alexander the Great, one of the famous conquerors in his time that conquered many countries, right before he died, he said, bury my body. Do not build any monument to my name. Keep my hands outside the casket so that the world will know that the person who won the whole world died with nothing left in his hands. He died with holes in his casket where they put his hands outside those holes. The man who, who conquered everything died with nothing because things are here today and gone tomorrow. Power is here today and gone tomorrow. Herod grasped for his power and authority and he lost it all. Alexander the Great grasped for power, for money, for riches, for fame. Doesn't matter how many likes you have, how many followers you have, how much money you have, how many houses, hotels. If you win the entire Monopoly game, at the end of your life, you die with nothing. This is why we've got to ask ourselves the question, am I living to gain more or am I living to give more? Because you'll never lose if you give. You'll never lose what you give. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. When I was 13 years old, I got obsessed with trying to make a bunch of money, and someone told me I should invest in Beanie Babies. Y'all remember Beanie Babies? 1998, I bought 100 Beanie Babies. I put my life savings into Beanie Babies. I bought Bessie the cow for like 76 bucks. And <laughs> I was like, she's going to be worth $7,000 in a year. Trust me, I've been talking to the Beanie Baby experts. I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 16. All my Beanie Babies ended up in a garage sale. Somebody bought a box of my Beanie Babies for less than $20. I remember when I watched, I was so sad. I was just eating cookies, getting fat, just watching my Beanie Babies go. <laughs> Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where garage sales will sell them for nothing, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Everybody say treasures in heaven. 
So we think about these wise men. Why would they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh to a baby who can bring nothing back into them? Because they believe that there is a real heaven and that life on earth is a vapor. And someday, this short life that we think is so long and so big is going to end and will step into eternity. And what we did for Jesus and others is the only thing we get to take with us. We don't get to bring our car. We don't get to bring our house. We don't get to bring our bank account. We don't get to bring our, our opportunities. We only get to bring what we did for Jesus and what we did for others. So the wise men understood I want to give into the kingdom. James Kraft, the founder of Kraft Foods, he said, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistent increasing dividends is the money I gave into the local church for God's kingdom use. The only investment, this is a billionaire in his time. He said, the only investment I ever made that has paid consistently increasing dividends back into my life. Now, some of us, we will spend money to go see Avatar in 3D, and we will go, okay, I had to spend 13 bucks on a ticket or however much it cost, popcorn, candy, a drink. Then we get to church, and we're like, he's asking me to give? All right, I'll give him five bucks. And we trust a theater with our money more than we will trust the kingdom of God. We trust Starbucks. We trust Walmart will buy toys that will eventually end up in garage sales, and we raise our kids with a materialistic mindset, thinking that somehow materials equals happiness. When we know good and well, it doesn't, and we're watching the wealthiest man in the world show us right now in 2022 that money doesn't equal happiness. More does not actually equal better. More houses, more cars, I'll tell you what equals a satisfactory life. What equals a significant, fulfilling life is getting involved in God's kingdom work through his local church, being a part of helping other people. You never lose when you give. You never lose when you give into the kingdom of God, when you help other people find joy. Amen? How can I be the miracle? I want to give you two ways. How can I be the miracle? Number one, trust God. I'm speaking to myself too. Trust God with your surrender and break the scarcity mindset. That's the first point. Trust God with your surrender and break the scarcity mindset. For our kids right now, we're trying to teach them how to share. And uh, we got five kids, so it gets rowdy in our house. And they're all under the age of eight. So it's wild. Um, but we go to Chick-fil-A at least once a week. Come on, Chick-fil-A. And um, nuggets are a, like it's a scarcity in our house. Nuggets go out fast. And our kids get very possessive over their nuggets. And so uh, recently I was trying to help Max share his nuggets with Ellie. And he's like, no, these are my nuggets. My nuggets. You know, it's like Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, the guy that's like, yeah, uh, that's Mac. <laughs> and so Mac is possessive over his nuggets. I go, Mac, give Ellie some nuggets. And he goes, no, these are my nuggets. I said, I paid for those nuggets. You don't own those. I own those nuggets. I just gave them to you. And he's like, they're mine, daddy. I go, Mac, share your nuggets. Now, this is how we sound sometimes with God. These are my, my money, my time, my Sunday morning, my life. My family, my energy, my nuggets. And God's going, who put the breath in your lungs? 
Who gave, are you a self-made human? Did you build this planet? Did you create your gifts and talents? Who gave you life? Either he's God or he's not. But I'll tell you one thing, you're not God. Maybe money is God for you. Maybe your life has become your God. And it's a real test of asking yourself, am I willing to trust God with my nuggets? And maybe that's the word you put on your miracle offering envelope, nuggets. Share your nuggets. But I want you to just get this in your mind, in your heart. Who is the owner of it all? Because, y'all, we are stewards. We're not owners. And I'm preaching this message honestly to set us all free because I want you to prosper like never before. My prayer, I've been praying since last night, this whole last week, is that God would begin to increase every person who calls victory home like never before, that you would be the, the most wealthiest person you know, but you would be the biggest giver that you know. And those two are connected, by the way. Generosity and prosperity go hand in hand. The most prosperous people lose it all if they don't learn to be generous. The most generous people will never stop prospering. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. So we try to teach our kids, trust your dad with your surrender. Your dad would never ask you to give something up if he doesn't have a plan to increase what you have. If he doesn't have a plan to help you. And separating wants versus needs. Stop and ask yourself, why do I want more? What's driving this obsession for more? And is it making me a happier person? The effect of wanting more leads to often having more fatigue. We're more tired because we got to make more. So we're overworking. We're in the rat race. I got to make more. Got to make more. Got to make more. And every friendship is, a, is, is some ends to a means to make more money. So it's like, hey, you want to go get coffee? Yeah. While you're at coffee, it's a pyramid scheme. They're going to sell you insurance. They're going to like, and it's like, what, where do we stop craving more where we can just have a contentment with what God has blessed us with? Wanting more often leads to more expenses. I gotta spend more. And it leads to more stress, more anxiety, more conflict. The number one reason people divorce oftentimes is over money issues. America's biggest worry is money. They're, like Our nation is more worried about money than we are about dying. And we will work ourselves to death trying to make the money. People, people say we spend the first half of our lives working ourselves to death to make money. And the second half of our lives trying to use that money to save ourselves from dying because we worked so hard for the first 50 years to get the money. What if we flipped that need, that scarcity mindset that God's running out, we're running out. And what if we started living today with a trust in God that he's going to do more with our 10%, our tithe, our offering than we could do, that God is Jehovah Jireh. Paul the apostle said in Philippians chapter 4, he said, I've learned the secret to be content whether I'm abased or abounding. Whether I'm rich or poor, I've learned to be happy. I've learned the secret to happiness. It's not more houses, not more hotels. There's nothing wrong with having money, but when money has you, there's nothing wrong with having a good job and having a great salary, but when it all controls you to where God starts falling down the priority list and he's no longer worthy of your time, your treasure, your talent, your energy. By the way, what is God asking from you? God is asking you not to give up everything, but he's asking you to give him your heart. He's asking him, he's asking you to trust him with your treasure, your resources. He's asking you to trust him with your time, your finances. And at that, if you're willing to trust him with it, he's always willing to multiply it. 
In John chapter 6, this story is recorded in all four Gospels. There's a little boy who brings his five loaves and his two fish. But before he does it, Jesus asks Philip, while there's this massive multitude, 20,000 people, 5,000 men, three times the amount of women and children in a field. And he turns to Philip in John 6 verse 5 and he says, Philip, what are we going to do to give these people something to eat? He said this to test him in verse 6. Jesus will test you with what you have. He'll give you everything you're asking for, but he'll watch what do you do with it. If my kids ask for something, oftentimes I want to do whatever I can as a dad to give it to them, if it's good, and if they've worked hard for it. But I'm also wondering, are they going to be good stewards of it? Are they going to be willing to share it? Are they going to be willing to, to trust me with what I've given them? Or did they become even more stingy? And so Jesus asked Philip, what are you going to do? Philip goes, it would take a year's wages to give everyone just a bite of bread. And all the disciples, they started arguing. They go, we can't afford this. We can't afford this. I remember I told my dad, I can't afford to give right now. I'm only 13 years old. I just spent all my money on Beanie Babies. And my dad goes, Paul, did you mow a lawn this week? I said, yes. He said, how much did you make? And I was thinking, well, he's the pastor. I don't want to tell the pastor what I made. So I was like, well, it was somewhere between like 20 and 30. He's like, so you made 30. I was like, yeah, yeah, it was about 30. He's like, did you make 35? I said, okay, pastor, daddy, it was 35. And he said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I got to buy more beanie babies. <laughs> He's like, why? I was like, because I got to make more money. He's like, for what? I was like, because I, I just want to, I want to have more. And he was like, Paul, where do you trust God with this? What do you want to do with all that money? I said, I don't know. And I said, ultimately, I'm afraid I won't be able to pay for a car when I turn 16. I was saving up for a Ford Explorer with lightning stripes, 1993 Ford Explorer. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and I had been looking at it. It was on, it was on a cartradermagazine.com, truck or some, one of those trader car magazines. And I had circled it, had it in my room since I was 13. I was like, it's going to cost me $4,495, and I don't have that. And I got to make beanie babies turn around, and I got to make money, and I got to somehow multiply my money to be for And he said, trust God. Trust God. I said, Dad, I can't afford to trust God. He said, if you can't afford to trust God with $20, you won't be able to afford to trust God with $20,000. See, some people say, I'll give when I make more money. I'll give when I have more money. I'll give when I get blessed with more. But if I can't give with the little that I have, chances are I'm not going to be giving when I have more. Because I'll still have a scarcity mindset. Scarcity says it's all running out. God doesn't have enough. There's no wise men coming for my story. This Christmas is going to be hard. And I'm on the naughty list. And Santa's not going to show up. I'm getting cold this year for Christmas. But when I trust that God is a good God that he is a faithful God, that he's a compassionate father, that he has mercies and goodness lined up, that he's got wise men, that he, where he guides, he provides, where he directs, he protects. If I believe that Jesus is real and the story of Jesus is real, then I can learn to trust God with that lawn mowing money. So my dad challenged me, he said, set aside a percentage. I'm not saying all of it, but he said, trust God with a tithe. Trust God with an offering. I started doing that. Y'all, I had enough money. I bought that Ford Explorer and that thing ran. When I was 16 years old, I didn't have to ask my parents for money. God showed up. I can't even tell you how it worked, but God began to multiply as I began to give and trust him. I was breaking the scarcity mindset. I want the band to come out. And I want you to think about this. David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If God is your shepherd, if he's your source, he's going to take care of your needs. He's going to take care of your needs. 
when God asked Abraham to give his son Isaac, his only son. Abraham didn't even ask God twice. He loaded up his donkey. He said, Isaac, we're going to Mount Horeb. And Isaac said, what are we doing? He said, we're going to worship God. We're going to offer a sacrifice. And Isaac was like, okay. So they're walking towards the mountain. Isaac's looking around for an animal. He's like, dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's just staring at him like, it's you, buddy. (laughs) And Isaac's walking up that mountain. What they didn't know is on the other side of that mountain, there was a ram walking. And it's almost like God was holding that ram. Every time Abraham took a step, God got that ram to take another step. God was bringing the provision. Genesis 22 tells the story when Abraham got ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's a crazy story. It takes a lot of spiritual maturity to understand what is the principle of this story. So catch it with me for a second. God would never ask you to to sacrifice your kid. God stopped Abraham from doing it. He asked him to test him, but he would never actually want Abraham to go through with it. He stopped Abraham. He said, no, I've provided a ram in the thicket, Jehovah Jireh. That's what Abraham named that mountain. What God was looking for Abraham is, are you willing to trust me even when it hurts? Are you willing to trust me even when you feel like you've got nothing to give? When this is your last, this is what Elijah asked the widow. He said, are you willing to trust to bake me a cake? Will you be the miracle even though you need a miracle? Will you choose to give even when you're not sure how God's going to show up? And once she did, and once Abraham did, the provision began to overflow. Multiplication, the promises begin to come to pass. Above and beyond what you could ask, hope, dream, or imagine. We serve an Ephesians 3.20 God. We don't serve a God who's short on cash. We don't serve a God who's run out of cattle. We serve the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the oil underneath it. I remember I was a senior at ORU 2007 and our university was in a very intense crisis and we got a phone call. We met in the chapel and and, uh, there was an announcement made and fear just swept across the campus. And um, I called my dad and mom that night. I said, I I think I need to de-enroll. Our university is $52 million in debt and we're being told that we may not we may not be accredited and our university is going to shut down by the end of the year. And my dad said, hold on. Why do you feel like you need a de-enroll? I said, because so-and-so is leaving. He said, oh, so you're going to follow so-and-so? Did so-and-so call you to ORU? No. Who called you to ORU? God. So are you going to follow so-and-so or are you going to follow God? I said, I'm going to follow God. But dad, I, I just lost my scholarship. I came here because of a scholarship. He said, okay, so you were following a scholarship or were you following God? I said, dad, pastor, dad, I was following God. He said, then trust that God will provide. I said, what if our university doesn't even make it? I said, so-and-so's leaving and so-and-so's leaving and so-and-so's leaving and feels like everybody's leaving. And dad just said, Paul, if God called you to go there, stay there. That's where the provision will be. The miracle will be. Oftentimes, the miracle is wrapped inside the problem. Jesus brought his disciples into a moment of scarcity with 20,000 people that didn't have bread. And he turns to his disciples and he said, who wants to be the miracle? And they all got afraid. They're like, I got nothing. Until a little boy stepped up in the middle of all these adults who are stressed out. And he says, I got something. It's all I got. 
five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, I can work with that. That's faith. That's faith. To trust God with your surrender. To break the scarcity mindset. And what did Jesus do? He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. So I stayed at ORU. And November rolled around. Dad stepped in as an interim president. Suddenly, professors who didn't even know that I existed for three years started treating me with kindness. They were like, hey. And I was like, you treated me like trash for the last three years. And they were like, tell your dad not to fire me. And, uh, you know, but I remember the stress that was on my dad. This was the year before he passed. And he was trying to lead the church and lead the university through a crisis. And I remember him carrying that weight home right around Christmas time. It was the week before Christmas. In fact, I think it might have been this week, 2007, 15 years ago. And we were told as students that we might have to not return second semester because the university may not be open. And, um, and, we, need, and, and we were told, pray for a miracle, pray for a miracle, pray for a miracle. Well, all across the campus at Oral Roberts University, there's these words that say, expect a miracle. But it's hard to expect a miracle when you actually really, 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 really need a miracle. Sometimes you just, you get into this logic and reasoning and you're seeing other people leave and go and you're like, maybe I should follow them. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. But dad was just firm. I just remember him being on his knees in prayer, just saying, God, please show up, please show up. We got a, he got a phone call from a, a, a man named Mark Green. He hadn't heard from Mark in five or six years. And Mark said, Billy Joe, this is Mark Green. He said, I know who you are. He said, our family wants to help out with ORU, but we only want to talk with you. So dad went to go meet with him. I remember him coming back home with this big smile. It was like the whole, his whole countenance changed. And I said, what's going on? He said, I can't tell you but something good is going to happen to you today. I said, are we gonna be all right? He said, I can't tell you, but God's going to provide. God's going to provide. He was walking towards Bethlehem and the ram was walking. The wise men were walking. Abraham was walking towards the mountain and the ram was walking. Dad was walking towards, 2 Corinthians 5 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him by faith. There is no reward without faith. It requires faith to believe that God can. Some of you are believing for breakthrough. You need a scholarship. You need money for a wedding. You need a new car. You need a new house. How many of y'all have a financial need right now? If you've got a financial need, God can do it. I'm telling you right now, He's going to do it. Shane, He can do it. Susan, He can do it. He can do it. I've seen God do it. That next week, my dad got up and announced at our school. We came back that week. He said, I got good news. The school has been accredited for one more year, and someone just wrote a check for $70 million. The school is now debt-free, and the school is going to keep going. Today, ORU is living their best days yet. But can I tell you, it required faith in a season of fear. Faith and fear meet at the same intersection. Which one will you choose? Which one will you choose, faith or fear? Fear says God's not going to show up. God's not going to provide. i got to hold on to what I have. This is all I've got, Paul. This is all I've got, and, I, and God's not going to show up. But faith says this is all I've got, and God's going to multiply it. God's going to multiply it. He's going to multiply the loaves and the fishes. I watched it happen when I was the pastor, uh, first year as pastor of Victory. 
2014, we were in a tight season. We had just had layoffs in the last year and we, we couldn't afford hardly anything as, as a ministry. Like we were barely paying our bills, 2014, 2015. And I was nervous and I had people whispering, you're gonna have to sell the camp. You're gonna have to, like this, the church can't underwrite the school anymore because it requires, uh, like we've got to help out with the school and the camp. They, they just, they, they, they couldn't afford it. And people were saying that this church sold their camp, so you're gonna have to do what that church did in town. And, and this church had to shut down their school. You're gonna have to shut down Victor Christian School. And I was so nervous that here I was, first year as pastor and I'm failing and we're gonna have to shut down the school and now I'm losing things that my mom and dad built their lives for and just felt like the biggest failure and so much stress and worry. And I was looking at the finances and I was like, God, I'm doing my best, but we just, we can't afford the camp anymore. We can't afford. And I heard the Lord say, just trust me, just trust me, just trust me, just trust me. And God spoke to us to sow a seed into five ministries. One of them today has blown up in town. It was Transformation Church. Mike Todd just took over at that year, 2015. Another church was in Australia and then California. God said, sow seed. I said, but that's my need. If you got a need, sow a seed. And I said, but God, I need that money. We need that money. Camp Victory needs that money. Victory Christian School needs that money. But I heard the Lord say, you're believing for millions? Sow thousands of dollars and believe for a hundredfold harvest. And there was a certain amount that God put on our heart to sow as a seed into these five different ministries. That next year, I was teaching in a Bible college class, and we were barely paying the bills each week. This was 2015. This guy comes up to me afterwards, and he's wearing, like, jeans and uh, boots and uh, just, you know, just, like, in my mind, I was like, this guy doesn't have hardly any money at all. When he came to me and said this, he said, hey, I got something for you. I said, what do you mean? He said, I got a check for you. He said, I've been, um, I've really enjoyed just your preaching. And he said, I wasn't here when your dad was alive, but I feel like you got a spirit of faith. And I said, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm not as good as my dad, but I'm trying. And I remember Glenn, he looked at me in 2015 and he said, Paul, you're succeeding. Don't say you're trying, you're succeeding. I said, I don't know if we're gonna be able to afford to keep our school open and our, our camp. And he said, well, I got something for you. And I was like, Glenn, I'm sorry, I'm gonna say this, but you don't look like you have much money at all. I was like, is it like $10? And he laughed. He's like, yeah, I don't dress like I have much. But he said, our family just sold an oil company. And I was like, oh, snap. I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't, I was just being honest. And he's like, that's why I like you. You're honest, you keep it real. He wrote the biggest check in the history of our church. <laughs> I called my mom and I said, Mom, this guy just gave me a check for $1.3 million. And she said, what? She said, is it a faith check or is it a real check? I said, it's a real check. And she said, just make sure it's real. And I, I said, it is real, it deposited in. She said, your dad prayed for those. He never saw that. She said, you're seeing a harvest on the seeds. Did he sow? I said, I know. It wasn't even about the money. 
It was about knowing that God is my God. He's not just my dad's God. He's my God. He's my Jehovah Jireh. He's your Jehovah Jireh. Sorry, I'm so emotional. I wasn't planning on crying. <laughs> but I'm so thankful for God's favor. His goodness. He's so good. It's a story of Christmas. It's a story of miracles. I don't care if any of you give a penny today. I already had my encounter with Jesus. But here's what I know. Some of you are in a, in a season where you need God to show up. And it just can't happen with a stingy spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep it real. You can't see the prosperity God wants you to walk in until you learn to walk in generosity. And I feel like if one guy who's just had a hard time giving today makes the decision to give, then this message was worth it. If one 19-year-old guy who's, who's really good at playing church, but he's never been a giver in his life, if that guy today decides, you know what, I'm going to give God some money. I'm going to trust that God can multiply. Then, then this message was for that kid, that 19-year-old college kid, that 13-year-old kid who's buying Beanie Babies. Stop thinking that you can do this all with your own money, your own talent, your own ability. Trust God. Trust God. I could tell you story after story after story. But here's my second point. I forgot my second point. My second point is that God is for you. Believe that God is for you. He is. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. He so loved you and me. Not when we had our act together. It doesn't say God is for you when you get your life together. God is for you right now. Romans chapter 8 says, if God is for us, who could be against us? God is for you, and he's working all things together for good. God is working even when you don't see it. God's working right now. He's working behind the scenes. He's working for a pastor who's watching this right now. You're struggling. You're struggling in your city right now. You don't know how you're going to make it. God is working for you. When I come into this room, I don't always have the right words to, to, to preach, but when I walk towards this stage, it's like the message meets me on the stage. The ram meets me at the mountain. I come with, with my five loaves and two fish, but God begins to multiply it. I've had people come to me and they say, you preached one of the best sermons. I said, I didn't have nothing when I was going up there. I worked hard each week, but I, I go up there and I trust that somehow God's going to meet me on the stage, that the message will meet me as I open my mouth. The Holy Spirit will give the words to speak. If you'll trust God, the manna, the provision, the miracle is in the house, but you got to move by faith. You got to move by faith and you got to trust that God's for you. God is for you. Just say that with me. God is for me. For me. Just point at yourself. God is for me. Yesterday I was at my kids' basketball games, both of them, Liam and Benny, and I was shouting. I was screaming. I was like, yes! Let's go, Liam! And he was like, dad, you know, and I had a bad case of the so loves. I so love Liam that I will shout and cheer, and, and they lost 33 to three. But Liam scored one free throw, and that's all that mattered to me. I just told the coach, I was like, this was the best game. He's like, we lost 33 to three. I said, but Liam scored. And, I, and even if he hadn't scored, he showed up. He's my son. God is for you. You showed up today. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He so loves you, and he's so for you. And when you get that inside, all of a sudden you start trusting him. 
You start trusting him. What could he do? What could he do with your offering? How could he multiply? Some of y'all are believing for something specific. You've already written it down on your envelope. You've got it. This is what I'm believing for. Now trust so towards what God's got for you. I want the band to come out. We're going to worship. Here's what, I, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to do two altar calls. The first altar call is for all of us in the room. Even if you don't plan to give anything, that you bring your envelope down as a seed of prayers, a seed of tears. The Bible says in Psalms, those who sow in tears will reap a harvest of joy. I sowed a lot of tears today. I'm going to get a lot of joy today. I was a mess up here. I was a baby in this service. <laughs> Ty, I did not cry in any service. You know that. Pastor Ty's been at every service. I don't know why I just cried so much in this service. But I believe there's a harvest of joy on the other side of your tears. God has a harvest. Lord, I just pray for harvest for, for D. I pray for harvest for all the businessmen in the room. I sensed when we were worshiping, God has some multi, multi, multi-millionaires in the making right now. I really do. Some of you are about to be the wealthiest person you know in your life. You will be the, but you'll be the biggest giver you know in your life. You will be the biggest giver and you'll be the most, in, you'll be the person that's increasing the most. And 2023 will be your largest year of giving yet. It'll be your largest year of increase yet. And you might be in the room going, I don't think God cares about that. If God didn't care about that, he would never have written us the Bible. <laughs> the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a story of generational increase, generational prosperity, generational legacy, generosity that would flow through Joseph to feed the nations in a famine. Why would God wanna prosper Joseph in a famine so that he could feed the 12 brothers that betrayed him. God's gonna use the enemies that tried to take you out. You'll be the one that's hiring them, employing them, blessing them, because God's gonna write your story. God's gonna write a story of grace and forgiveness and so much hope. But, but I'm telling you, it starts with faith. It starts with trusting. Lord, bless me to be a blessing. Bless me to bless those who hurt me. Bless me to bless those who betrayed me. Bless me to bless those who tried to take me out. Bless me to be a blessing to our city, our state, our nation, nations of the earth. God will bless some of you so much that you'll become an influence in the city. You'll become a senator, a congressman, maybe a president one day, a vice president. I think there's kids in the room today that someday will be leading our country. I think the next Elon Musk will be found in Victory Church. And why not? We need someone who's spirit-filled, that loves God, that loves people, that's gonna buy up social media platforms and turn it for kingdom use. I'm preaching to Salman Riaz right now. God's about to increase some of our business, technological people in the room. And I'm telling you, get in on it, get in on it, get in on it. Be a part of what God wants to do in your life, in your family. Where's Lamar at? We're gonna go into a time of worship. Lord, I just pray right now as we give to you, as we trust in you, as we bring our hearts to you, I pray, God, that you would move in our lives. I pray, God, that you would have your way in Jesus' name. In just a moment, while the song is playing, feel free to bring your envelope down to the altar if you want to today. You can be a part of this online texting. And then after that, let's linger in worship and we're gonna have an altar call today. For those of you that are just praying and believing God, if you're not a member of this church, you're just attending today, don't worry about this at all. But I, I want those of you that call this place home to feel like this is your time to sow towards your future, to believe for increase in your family, in your business, in your finances, in every area of your life. Lamar, let's worship. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles.
Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God.
you're here right now and you just say, man, I need to surrender to Jesus, I want you to just leave your seat. Come and join us at this altar. If you just need to get things right with God, just come down to the altar. Today is your day of salvation, forgiveness. Today's a day of new beginnings. If that's you today, you need a fresh start spiritually. You need to give God your heart. You need to give God your whole life. If that's you, just leave your seat. Come and join us at this altar. We're going to cheer on brave men, brave women, boys and girls, moms and dads, grandparents. If you're watching online today, you're saying, I want my name in the book of life. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I need his forgiveness. I need his mercy. I need his grace. I need Jesus to save me. Today is your day. He wants to do it right now. Secondly, you're here and you say, I need a miracle. I'm saved. I love God. He's the Lord of my life, but I need a breakthrough, Paul. I need a breakthrough. I need a miracle in my finances. I need a miracle in my marriage. I need a miracle in my health. Maybe the doctors have given you a diagnosis and you're afraid. You're going, I got months left to live and I need God to do a miracle. If that's you, leave your seat. This is Miracle Sunday. I want you to bring your need to the altar. You brought your seed, now bring your need. Bring your need. If that's you, you're going, I've got a need. And I, I, I don't want to come across complaining, but I know that God's a good father and he wants to hear my needs. We have not because we ask not. So today, bring your ask to the Lord. Bring your request to the Lord. Bring that desperate cry to say, God, I need your help. I need a miracle in this area. Whatever it is, whatever it is, and nothing is too small and nothing is too big. God told Mary, nothing is impossible for him who believes. Nothing is impossible for she who believes. Elizabeth was called barren. The doctor said she would never have children, but in her old age, she conceived and gave birth to his son, John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. I'm believing God for those that have been told they could never have children, that God's about to open your womb. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name for couples in the room that have been believing to get pregnant. God, I thank you that you can do it, that you've done it before, you can do it again. I've seen you move, move the mountains, and I believe you can do it again. I want us to sing that song. If you're down at the altar today or you want to come down to this altar just to believe for a miracle, we're going to take a couple more minutes, and we're just going to pray. And down at this altar, just hold your hands in a receptive way and get ready because I believe God wants you to leave today with greater faith, greater courage, possibly even to see the miracle happen today, the breakthrough, the healing, the turnaround. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. He's able to do it. He can make a way where there's no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. He's able to do it exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you ask, hope, dream, or imagine. He's a big God. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. He's a gracious Father. He's for you. behind the scenes for you. He's faithful. He's able to do it. He's able to do it.
your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. I was just praying as we were at the altar and Emmanuel, I saw you just praying. And I know this last week, you lost a friend and our world lost someone who was a bright light, a DJ on TV, a dancer, a very well-known person. And as we were praying, I just felt like the Lord was shining his light on you, but also on many of you in this room that God is He's tapping you and he's saying, it's your time to shine. And it's your time to be a light to people who are depressed, 
who are suicidal, who are discouraged, who are afraid, who feel like they're not going to get out. God's going to raise people up out of victory. I believe that are going to shine so bright for our city, for our state, our nation, the nations of the earth. And he's tapping you and he's saying, this is why the world needs you. This is why money can't buy happiness. Fame can't buy happiness. Stages can't buy happiness. And I've been reading people's posts this last week about, about this person who made such an impact. And I just think, you know, I believe that God wants to use people in the church that are going to bring hope to people, even in, in like we, I can't tell exactly all the details, but in the last couple of weeks, we've been getting calls saying, we're coming to Tulsa. Please don't tell anyone, but we just need help. People are coming to this city and they're coming specifically to this church, this school as a shelter and ark for hope. People that are in famous places that are saying, we've got to get under this house of victory because there's a, there's a spirit of hope and restoration and grace and peace and our family needs to be in that church right now. And I'm telling you, God's going to use people in this house. God's hand is on you. He's not increasing you just for you. He's increasing you to be a blessing to people around you. He's increasing your influence. He's going to increase your ability to disciple other people, to minister to other people, to be the miracle for someone who's in need of a miracle. And in return, God says, I will provide. I will take care of your needs. I will meet you on the mountain. As you continue to make yourself available, as you continue to empty yourself out, every idea, everything that God's put inside you, don't go to the graveyard with stuff still inside you. Give it all to God. Trust God with it. And every season, God says, I'll keep on giving you more. I'll keep blessing you with everything you need. As you keep pouring it out, as you keep on showing up and loving and serving, God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you whatever it is you're praying for. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that we would be lights in a dark place. God, that we would be hope to people that are hopeless, that we would be the miracle to someone that's hurting this week. Help us to save someone, God, from taking their life this week. Help us to be a voice of encouragement, of hope. God, I pray in Jesus' name for every person in this room that they would know how valuable they are. You are valuable. You are needed. The world needs you. God needs you. Stick with it. Keep moving. God's going to do something supernatural in you and through you and for you, and somebody's counting on you. Hold on to that right there. Keep that candle burning inside your heart. And I just speak to someone right now who's just been on the verge of quitting. Life is still worth living. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. God's going to get you through it. God's going to show up. He's going to move in you and through you for his glory. He's going to write your story. It's going to be a testimony of how you came through it. In Jesus' name, just say this with me. Jesus, I'm all yours. I surrender to you. My need and my seed. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So I'm trusting in you because you died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the grave. You are my savior, my Lord. I receive your grace. I receive your provision. And I'm going to be the miracle for other people who need to know that there is a real God who loves them. So use me, God, for your glory. You can write my story. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, 
Amen and amen. I love you. God bless you. Thanks for staying late today.